So in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, on the screens if you need it, it says this. It says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The Jewish leaders and teachers, like the one mentioned in this story, were great rule followers. Because of that, I feel like we have a tendency to kind of write them off as overly legalistic. And that's not a completely inappropriate understanding of, of who the Pharisees tended to be, of who these legal scholars tended to be, of who the religious teachers needed to be, but I do feel like it's an oversimplification of the ways in which we look at them. What they were doing and what they understood the rules to be as they looked at their scriptures, our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as they looked at their scriptures, they understood these rules to be the ways in which they loved God. So as rule followers and those who were trying to help others follow the rules, they were pursuing to the best of their understanding their intention to love God and the ways in which they understood they did so was by following the rules. But a problem came as they continued to look at the rules and analyze the rules and think about the rules and clarify the rules is that the rules became too much. They became overly complicated. They became difficult. There were over 600 rules kind of on the books by the time Jesus arrived on the scene. And these 600 some odd rules is what these teachers and these rule followers and these rule enforcers were trying to make sure that everyone did. And it got to a place that it was really hard to keep up with what all the rules were, much less follow all the rules. It made me suddenly think of my son last night who seems to also believe that daddy has too many rules and that it doesn't matter what he did, somehow he broke a rule. And while I would argue that that's not true, I get that we can't just write down a list of the rules, but they tried to do that and it had become so cumbersome and so taxing that it was hard to follow. There was debate about which rules mattered and which rules didn't and what they should do with them. So one day Jesus had been teaching And one of these religious leaders ended up around Jesus and asked him a question. Now, in this passage, it reads as if the question is really about simplification, about understanding priority, about understanding what is most important. But if we look at the same story in some of the other gospel stories, they tell it more in the fashion of this religious teacher was trying to maybe test or trick Jesus to understand how much he knew about the law 
how much he respected the laws and followed the laws. So I'm not exactly sure which it was. It's hard for us to know their intent without them specifically speaking it. But here we find that this question is asked. Of all the commandments, it's in verse 28, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus responded with a two-part answer. He listed two laws, but in Jesus' eyes, they weren't two laws. They were inseparable. They were something that was understood as two, but for Jesus, they belonged together, always together, intimately connected. So he listed these two inseparable laws that now became one law. And he says in verse 30 and 31, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And, and I added that little and, we skipped over a few words, and I added that and to get to the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Over the last several weeks, we have been in a series looking at the life of Moses. We actually have done parts of that series twice, both before we began to uh, to walk through shutdowns because of the pandemic, and then afterwards we restarted and walked through some of it and then finished it off. But as we talked about this idea of strengthening the soul, we were leaning primarily into the idea of what does it mean for us to love God well. As we think about spiritual practices, as we talk about silence and solitude, we talked about the idea of how those will help us fall more and more deeply in love with Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. As you and I spend intentional and intimate time in the presence of God, we have the opportunity to experience the love of God more fully and also to grow to love God more fully. Through these practices, through the creating of a rule of life, which we talked about a few weeks ago, a plan, a, a, a trellis, a guide for how we want our spiritual life to grow and develop. As we put those things in practice, as we put those guides in practice, we create an opportunity that is ripe and ready for the Holy Spirit to do the work of transformation in us. The Holy Spirit does this work of forming us, of, of changing us so that we more and more resemble the image of Christ, which is what we've been called to follow and to look like. In leaning into that and talking to that, about that, it's been mainly about us and God, mainly about our relationship with Jesus and what that looks like on an individual level. However, it's so important for us to always recognize as we look at the scriptures, God never intended for it to stop there. In the scriptures, faith is never simply an individual pursuit that you and I are on without concern for others, without concern for what's going on. It's just a me and Jesus thing. That's not biblical. That's American. We think about things in that kind of individualized nature, but that's not the way the scriptures look at this. It was always, in the eyes of the scripture, in the eyes of God, it was always bigger than one person and their connection with God. Now, yes, it requires of us individual work, but the desire of God was the redeeming of all creation, every person and everything that had been created. It's redeeming and restoring and bringing it all back to the perfection that it was originally created with before sin began to make a mess out of it. Love God and love others. Always both. 
Robert Mulholland, in his book, Invitation to a Journey, talks about spiritual formation or transformation, and he defines it this way. He says, spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ, and catch this last part, for the sake of others. So we've been talking about being transformed, about what that looks like and how that happens. And that out of transformation should come from us this deep, overwhelming love for others. That's the next step of it. It's not just about me becoming who I'm supposed to be. It's not just about me and God, but it's about me being formed for the sake of others. So that love for others is what overflows and comes out of me. And this love is being displayed to other people by our actions of love towards them. So the Holy Spirit is working to transform me. And in transforming Chad, Chad comes to a place of loving others more fully, of showing others the love that Jesus has placed inside of me so that they too can experience the love of Jesus and the transformation that's offered by the Holy Spirit. It's this cyclical thing of what God is doing in me is then being passed on to others so that they too come to see Jesus, so that they too are transformed, so that again it's over and over in cycles so that it continues to be passed on to more and more people as God does the work of redeeming all of creation. And Jesus tells us in the book of John that it's this one thing, it's love that we as Christians are supposed to be identified by or recognized by or known by. In John chapter 13, John writes, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And he's quoting Jesus here. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love will prove. Not our theology, not our Bible knowledge, not our church attendance, not the moral or social issues that we fight for or against, not who we do or do not vote for. And before we start throwing rocks, let's go bring the gym. There are no rocks in here, but not when we put all the basketballs up. Yes, love will influence the ways in which we look at moral and social issues. It absolutely should. Yes, love will impact our theology. Our Bible knowledge and our church attendance helps us come to understand that love more and learn what it means to live out that love towards other people, absolutely. And our love of God and our love for others, yes, should influence the ways in which we vote. Not by making us a Republican or a Democrat. Not by deciding that we vote one party or the other because that's what Christ followers do. Instead, as people of Jesus, as people who are defined and known by their love, what should happen in us is that we should vote not for a political party because they're better or worse or more like us or worse than the other, but instead that we are the kind of people that vote not because of our party affiliation, but because of our Jesus affiliation. That is what defines how we vote and who we vote for and what issues we stand up for. We vote according to this deep commitment towards loving God and loving others. 
So we vote, yes, we should vote. We should be educated voters. And we vote to show love. We vote to grow love. And contrary to what we see by some of our Christian leaders in our society, we should also show love all the way up until the day we vote and beyond. Because we may or may not land at the same place in our understanding of what it means to show and grow love through that. But we get lost in the details so very often and we find ourselves overly consumed and concerned about these particular practices, about church attendance or theology or voting or standing for moral issues and we get consumed by how we see ourselves with that and they were never the goal. The goal is that we be a people who love more deeply and our love influences all of those. But it is our love that we're known by. It is our love that identifies who we are. So Valley, friends, family, in the room, online, as we walk through our last few weeks together, November 1 will be the last Sunday that I'm here. As we walk through our last few weeks together, we want to talk about this idea of loving well. What does it look like? What does it mean for us to love well? And we've been talking about the idea of love of God, leaning into that for a long series. And now in this short one, we can't do it justice simply because of time. We're gonna talk about what it means to love other people. How do we do that well? And what what does that look like? However, before we do so, before we lean too much into that, I want to already correct something that I've been saying wrong for all of the last 10 or 12 minutes. Usually, as I think about the idea of what it means for us to think about this two-in-one thing, I think about the idea of loving God and loving others, and being the word that we lean into. In my mind, and even as I was writing and preparing this sermon, I was thinking about how do I illustrate this? How do I think about this? And I thought, well, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin, these two sides can't be separated. They're always together, but there's this side and there's that side. And then as I looked into some things that I had seen from the past and remembered from the past, I ran across some teachings from Robert Mulhall in the book that I quoted. And he actually does some important defining and explaining of how these two things come together in a way that is so much better than using the word and or talking about two sides of a coin. He actually says that the word and misses some of the significant weight that Jesus wanted to place on putting these two things together. Even that thinking about two sides of a coin misses something, it loses something because the head side and the tail side are always different. They're always separate from one another. So Mulholland, who was a New Testament professor or New Testament scholar and professor, actually says that in the language in which Jesus used in talking about this two-in-one command, it's better for us to think about it as if he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And another way of saying this is, so not just and, but, and here's another way of saying the same thing. So look at what the passage looks like if we put that in there instead of the word and. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And another way of saying the same thing is, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Mulholland believes, and I tend to agree with him, this is the message that Jesus was trying to drive home. And if we miss this, if we think about these things as leveled, if we think about these things even as two sides of a coin, then we have the tendency to feel like part two is less valuable than part one. That part two is less important somehow. That part two, loving other people, might even become optional. But as long as we're loving God well, as long as this personal relationship thing with Jesus is working well, we're good, we're covered. Loving other people becomes this kind of extracurricular thing. It somehow becomes secondary. And when we do that, we can even have the ability, even if we wouldn't say that it's irrelevant or unnecessary, we even sometimes lean into the place of saying, all right, if, if there's both of these things and I can't figure out how to do them both at one time, I lean really deeply into one and figuring out one, I can worry about the other once I get one of them finished, perfected, whatever. So if I learn to love God really, really, really well, eventually I can be concerned with loving other people really well. Does this make sense at all? Are you still awake? I think about even the way we often do that with people who newly come to know Jesus. It's almost like we want to section them off for a while. Because loving God is more important than loving other people. So make sure they know how to love God. Teach them everything they need to know. Help them learn. And then send them out to go love people. But Jesus never did his work like that. The sending, the loving other people was happening at the exact same time alongside the learning to love God and understand and follow Jesus more faithfully. They were one in the same always. Neither was optional. These two things are now one thing, forever fused and intertwined. Love God, and another way of saying the same thing, love other people. This is the center of the law of God. So if we desire to be followers intent on living as Jesus has called and created us to, if we desire to be followers who are committed to following after the laws of God, then we become a people who love others in direct connection with our love for God. Last year, I saw Robert Mulholland do a teaching. It was on a video because he passed away a few years ago from cancer. And he had this beautiful representation of showing what this looked like. He took a strip of paper, kind of like this one, and on one side he wrote, love... And on the other side, he wrote, love others. Ah, not writing very well up here. You can't see it anyway at the moment. So he wrote, love God, and he wrote, love others. And again, this idea, one side, the other side, somehow they can be differentiated from one another. Even if we take them and we make a, a ring out of them, they're still on opposite sides of them. So he took this strip of paper, and on one side it says, love God. You probably can't read that, but that's what it says, I promise. And on the other side, it says, love others. And then he took it, and he made what in mathematics or geometry apparently is called a Mobius strip. You can Google that if you want. You take the loop, and with a half twist here, you have made a shape. I meant to get a piece of tape, and I forgot to do it. You have made a shape that if we start here on this side and begin to trace it, 
Oh, I can't trace well either. I need some help up here. If we take it on this side and we begin to trace it, because of this loop, there is no inside and outside. It all is continuously looped together. Love God and love others become on the exact same side, on the exact same plane. They're never separated. They're never removed from one another. We move through the loop of doing both all the time, and this Mobius strip gives us the idea of what it looks like because these two things are one in the same. They're incapable of being separated. There's no working on this side or working on that side. They are always overlapping, always intertwined, always connected on the same side. So as we look to the future and we think about our individual journeys of faith, as we look to the future and we think about our corporate journeys, the journey that we're on as a church, specifically Valley, as Valley continues to push into the future, and we think about this idea, how do we make sure that we are a people, individuals and a communal people on a journey defined by love? How do we love one another well? What does that look like? Next week, Whitney is planning to be here. She's going to come and talk to us about Impact One and what's happening in Zambia. And then we'll do two more weeks where we're going to come back and talk about love. And the first week, we'll talk about what it looks like for us to come to a place that we are loving our brothers and sisters that are part of the church in the ways in which Jesus has called us to love well. And in the second week, we'll look at what it means for us to love our neighbors, our neighbors that may be in another church, our neighbors that may be in no church at all. What does it mean for us to love them the ways in which Jesus loves them? And here's the brilliance of Jesus' two-in-one command. Are you ready to catch this? You want to understand why it is so amazing, so impressive that Jesus simplified everything into this? It's because Jesus laid out a precise plan, a precise way. Jesus spoke this brilliant plan, this brilliant instruction, and Jesus believed, Jesus knew that if his followers, you and me, actually did what Jesus asked us to do, loved God and loved others, it would literally change the world. Just this. Love God. Love others. Never separated. Always together. Literally change our world. Absolutely nothing else can or will accomplish that. No government, no election, no specific place or country, no social movement. Loving God, loving others. A people defined and known by our love is who we've been called to be. And as we prepare to walk away, it is who I hope I leave. Is a people who deeply love one another and deeply love other people. Pray with me, would you? Precious Lord Jesus, 
We thank you for loving us. And God, through your love, we ask that you would do the miraculous work of helping us come to love more fully, more faithfully, to love you and to love your people, all of your people, all of your creation, that we would come to love them the ways in which you love them, for your glory, for your honor. God, form us into something new, the image of Christ, for the sake of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.